I've been looking forward to this all week long now. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I, I want to enjoy God's Word with you, so go ahead and open to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter 2, we're going to be in verse 4 through verse 12 in 1 Peter chapter number 2. You know, in the movie, The Bourne Identity, CIA agent Jason Bourne, while on the run, was kept, he, he was kept being asked by this lady, who are you, who are you, and this is what he said, and I quote, I don't know who I am or where I'm going, end quote. Maybe you've arrived here today in person or online, and you think, man, I just, I'm running to keep up. I'm running from something. I'm running to something, but I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. Well, today, we're going to look at a text that tells us exactly who we are in Christ, uh, I, I've entitled this message, The Born Again Identity. Not the born identity, but the born again identity. We're told in chapter 1 that we're born again to a living hope. And that we're born again by the living word. And so then the Holy Spirit through Peter begins to tell us, okay, what does that mean? Who are we in Christ? So I'm going to read the text and then we'll unpack it. Let's look at it together. First Peter 2, if you're there, say I'm there. All right, verse 4, we'll go through verse 12. Here we go. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion. Now, Zion is another word for Israel. I'm laying a stone in Israel, Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Gracious Father, we're thankful for your word today, that it speaks life to us, in us, through us. Holy Spirit, would you take over? Holy Spirit, would you teach us in this text? Would you bring us to the place of decision? We ask it in Jesus' name, and oh, the church said, here we go, church. I'm going to go ahead and give you the takeaway. If you were to say, what is the sermon in a sentence? Here it is. And I want it to marinate. As we walk through these verses, I want this truth to just marinate in your heart. So, so here it is right here. Our identity in Jesus is not 
in jeopardy. (laughs) Our identity in Jesus is not in jeopardy. It's not here one minute and gone the next. It's not in jeopardy. Now, your identity in anything and everything else is in jeopardy. You know that, right? The last year and a half should have taught us something. Our health is in jeopardy, right? Uh, Marriage is under assault. Uh, Husbands and wives, our roles as husbands and wives are in jeopardy. Many, Many marriages end in divorce, but every single marriage ends in death till death do us part. It's in jeopardy. Your career, your job is in jeopardy. Why? Because of retirement, job loss, etc. Your hobbies, your career, your education, your stuff, your mind. It's all in jeopardy. The only thing that's not in jeopardy is our identity in Jesus. (laughs) The only thing that remains is the word of the Lord and the souls of men. So as followers of Christ, in Christ, our identity in Jesus is not in jeopardy. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take the Word's word for it. And how do we do that? We walk through this text. So there's four proofs that really surfaced in my heart as I was studying that help us know without a doubt that our identity in Jesus is not in jeopardy. Here's the first one. Number one, we can know who Jesus is. And when you know who Jesus is, you can know that your identity in Him is not in jeopardy. And Peter clearly tells us who Jesus is here. Look at verse 4. He begins this way. Now, I know that so many people are asking, what would Jesus do? Every issue that pops up in the church, in our culture, what would Jesus do? WWJD. You cannot know what Jesus would do apart from Scripture. (laughs) The Scripture tells us not only what Jesus would do, it tells us who he is. Don't you listen to who the world says Jesus is. You listen to who the Word says says Jesus is. And here's what the Word says. Look at it, verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone. Somebody say living stone. Okay, that is an oxymoron, is it not? What rock do you know that is alive? What stone do you have at home that's alive? Signal Mountain's been there a long time. Lookout Mountain's been there a long time. But those rock that make up that mountain, they're not alive. They endure, they defy time, but they're not alive. A rock is an inanimate object. It's not alive. But here it's a living stone. Speaking of Jesus, the one who died. But guess what? He's alive forevermore. Meaning Jesus was the first one to live, to die, to be raised from the dead, never to die again. He's alive forevermore. Life without end. That's what this living stone means. It means a resurrection life, abundant life, eternal life. Life without end. Life opposite death. That's what it means. Living stone. He is the living stone. You know, when David Livingston, one of the most uh, greatest missionaries God's ever used, when he died, he was buried at Westminster Abbey. And the British papers there bannered across their headlines on the front page. This is what they wrote about David Livingston. They said, granite may crumble, but this, this is Livingston. Living stone. Never ends. Never dies. Alive forevermore. Peter says we're born again by a living hope. We're born again by, by, by and through the living word. And here is Jesus, a living stone. But not everybody wants this life because it says, 
very next phrase in verse 4, rejected by men. Rejected by men. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day rejected him. He did not fit their mold of what a Messiah should be. He ignored their oral traditions. He called out their hypocrisy. He did not follow their Sabbath. He didn't fit their mold, so they rejected him. They disapproved of him. Though the common people loved gladly to hear his teaching, his healings, his miracles. They didn't, it didn't fit the religious leaders most, so they rejected him. But even today, Jesus is still being rejected. You've heard it said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When Isaiah 53, 2, here's what Isaiah wrote. There is no beauty in him, in Jesus, that we should desire him. But in the eyes of the beholder, in the eyes of God, look what it says in verse 4. Rejected by men, but... In the sight of God, chosen and precious. When God looks upon his son, what does he say? This is my, this is my beloved son with, who I, with whom I am well pleased. Right? And he's precious because that speaks of his redemption. Jesus' blood is more precious than gold because it is his precious blood that has ransomed us and bought us at a price. The precious blood of Jesus. This is who he is. He's the living stone. But he's also the the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. Look at that. If you turn over to verse 6, you can see that. A cornerstone chosen and precious. Uh, The cornerstone was a stone of a building that the building is built upon. It is the foundation. It is the stone where all the other stones are laid in line. It's kind of like a plumb line. It's the foundation, that cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's the cornerstone of the family of God. He is costly and irreplaceable. You can't replace the cornerstone. He is precious, chosen, costly, irreplaceable. And those who believe in him will never be put to shame. You know what that means? Here's what that means. You will never be disappointed in placing your faith in Jesus. You're never going to wake up one day and say, man, I regret trusting Christ as my Savior. Now, I'm sure you wake up with a lot of regrets, but you'll never regret coming to faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. You'll never regret that. You will never be put to shame according to the Word. Never be put to shame. He is a living stone. He's a cornerstone. But look at those who don't believe who is Jesus. He's a stone of stumbling, it says in verse number 8. A stumbling stone, a rock of offense. How many of you know the gospel is offensive? That it's folly and foolishness to those who are lost. A rock of offense. What does he mean by a stumbling stone and a rock of offense for those who do not believe? Well, think about hiking on a path and you stumble over a stone and you fall flat on your face on a rock bed, a bed of rock. That's the picture here. You trip, you hit your face on a bed of rock. In other words, here's what Peter, the Holy Spirit through Peter is saying. The very stone, this living stone, this cornerstone, this very stone that men, women, boys, and girls reject, that they stumble over. It's the very stone that they stumble and trip over. And it's the very stone that they will end up being crushed by in judgment. He's the same stone. So what does that mean? They disobeyed the gospel. They rejected the gospel. They rejected the only way to be saved. 
And so they stand condemned already. And they'll be crushed in judgment by this stone. Think about this one Jesus who rolled away the gravestone to the repentant sinner. He is the living stone. To the forgiven believer, he's the cornerstone. To God the Father, he's the chosen stone. To the unbelievers, he's the stumbling stone as he'll judge them with brimstone. This Jesus, he's the Almighty, yes. He's the beginning and the end, yes. He's the Christ, yes. He's the divine, 100% deity and 100% humanity all at the same time, yes. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is God the Son. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is Emmanuel, which is God with us. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Messiah. He's the Prince of Peace. He's our Redeemer. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He is the truth. And yes, He was born of a virgin. Yes, He lived a life that you and I could never live, sinless in every way. Yes, He died our death. Yes, He was buried. Yes, he was raised to life and on the third day this stone mason this mason of stone he rolled away that gravestone so if you're grieving today Jesus comforts if you're lonely today Jesus is always present if you're uncertain today Jesus holds every tomorrow he is the way and the truth and the life Oh, you've got a lot of big problems today, and so do I. But our biggest problem was solved 2,000 years ago when this Jesus rolled away the gravestone. Solved. Done. This is who Jesus is. And, and, and let me say this. If you come next Wednesday night to our, our worship in the FLC, if you come to the gym, to our praise party at 630 uh, this week, this Wednesday, you may hear me rap. That, that probably deters you from coming, and that's okay. But when I got saved at 21 years of age, one of the groups I listened to was DC Talk. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about DC Talk. Some of you. But Kevin Max is a member of that group, DC Talk, and recently, this week, I saw that he posted on social media, Hello, my name is Kevin Max, and I am an hashtag exvangelical. Not an evangelical, an exvangelical. He says now he follows the universal Christ. Well, who is the universal Christ? According to Richard Rohr, the universal Christ is another name for everything. Uh, he says Christ is more than Jesus' last name. Let me stop Richard right there. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus is Jesus' name. He, he, there's only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and it's Jesus. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. It means the Messiah, the anointed one. It means the Holy One of Israel, the chosen one. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. It's a title, not a name. Secondly, Richard Rohr would say that Jesus and Christ show the way, show the truth, and show the life. Let me stop Richard again. Jesus does not show us the way. He does not show us the truth. He does not show us the life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Listen, here's a guy who grew up as singing Jesus free, loving Jesus, and then all of a sudden he decides he's going to start following a, 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 a version of Jesus that the world says is, is Jesus. Listen, if you're a middle school or a high school, or you have to decide right now, 
Students, you've got to make a decision right now who you are going to put your faith in. You've got to own your faith. Don't you dare go off to college and have a wishy-washy belief about who Jesus is. You better settle that now. You better turn to what the Word says Jesus is and believe it, not what this world says. The, the Word of God is the only thing that remains forever, and it's clear in Scripture that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and listen, the Bible has no equal, and the Bible has no sequel. The full revelation is right here. So when we know who Jesus is, we can know our identity in Him is not in jeopardy. Here's the second proof that we can know our identity in Jesus is not in jeopardy. Number two, we can know who we are. Isn't it wonderful to know that we can know who we are? Man, we look around and, and, and gender identity today from the world's perspective is in jeopardy. Now the Bible says there's two genders, male and female, and in the gospel there's no gender. Male and female are one in Christ. But, but according to the world, there's 64 plus genders. Listen, the world's got more genders than I have shoes in my closet. And I've got way too many shoes that any one man should own. This world has way too many genders that any world should. I saw an artist recently come out and say she, she's no longer a she. She is now a they. There's confusion in the world about who people are. But in the Word, there's no confusion. If you're in Christ, you know exactly who you are. Now, you may identify as an SEC sports fan, or you may identify as an ACC sports fan, or you may identify as Republican, or you may identify as a Democrat, or you may identify as vaccinated, or you may identify as non-vaccinated. But i got to tell you, our identity is not in that stuff. Our identity is in Christ and Christ alone. That's where our identity is. And Peter tells us this very clearly, verse 5, 9, and 10. Look at verse 5 again. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. The word Christian means little Christ. We are little living stones being built up, given life from the living stone, and being built up into a spiritual house. Now, in the Old Testament, God's temple, the tabernacle, the temple, that was the place where God dwelt with his people. Under the new covenant... On this side of the cross, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the church today is not about peopling a building. It's about building people. We are spiritual houses. And as living stones, we're being built up. Jesus told Peter, on this rock I will build my church. The rock that he was referring to was the confession of who Jesus is. The Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the rock. The gospel of Jesus is the rock by which the church is being built. So we can know we are living stones. We are a part of this spiritual house that God is building. Also, if you jump over to verse number 9, there's a whole list of who we are. So look at verse 9. Here we go. You're a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people of his own possession. Look at that, chosen race. There's so much in our world today, culturally, politically, socially, even in the church. A lot of things in our world are racial. They deal with race, and they're racial. But this chosen race is not racial. This chosen race is a new race... From all races. It's not a white race. It's not a black race. It's not a yellow race. It's not a red race. It's not a brown race. It's a new race from all races. It's a new culture from all cultures. It's a new tribe from all tribes. 
It's a new color from all colors. A chosen race. One chosen by God and one who chooses God. We are a chosen race. Look at that. I love this one. A royal priesthood. What in the world does that mean? A royal priesthood? Here's what it means. In the Old Testament, there were a group of people called Levites. They were the priests. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of people to God. So if you wanted to have access to God, you had to go through a priest under the Old Covenant. The high priest, once a year, Day of Atonement, would go in and make a sacrifice for all the sins of all the people, including himself. And he had to do that year after year after year. That's Old Testament. Under the New Covenant... Every man, woman, boy, or girl who have put their faith in Christ is a priest. We call it the priesthood of the believer. Every one of you, if you're in Christ, you are a priest. In fact, I would say this to you. Welcome to the priesthood. We've got staff in this church. We've got deacons in this church. What does that mean as a church? I'm, I'm your pastor, but I'm not your priest. Pope uh, uh, Peter was not the first pope. Nope, 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 nope. He was not the first pope. If you're in Christ, you are a priest. What is the essence of a priest? Well, the essence of a priest is one who has access to God. And if you put your faith, if you've been born again, you now have access to God. I'm your pastor, but I'm not your priest. You don't have to come to me to pray. You don't have to come to me to read your Bible. You have access to God. You do, in and through Christ. So our, our, our largest group of people in our, in our churches are not pastors or staff or deacons. It's the priest. Every believer is a priest. Every member of the body of Christ is a priest. Not only that, we're a holy nation. Look at that. A holy nation. A nation set apart. A people set apart. God says, be holy for I'm holy. We're, set, we're to be different. We're to be set apart. We're not to be a halo nation where we're holier than now, but we're to be a holy, holy nation. So parents, let me say this to you. If you want to be set apart and different, and you want your child to be thankful, you be thankful. If you want your kid to not complain, don't complain. If you, don't want, your, if you want your children to show up, show up. If you want them to show up to church, show up to church. We cannot be tour guides, mom and dad, of a land we've never visited. We're to be set apart, we're to be different. We're not to be of the world, but certainly we are in it. So we're a holy nation. Look at this one. A people for his own possession. That means you are God's inheritance. Here's what it means. God wants to spend eternity with you. What? Maybe you think, man, people don't want to spend five minutes with me. You're telling me God wants to spend eternity with me? Absolutely, yes. He wants to spend eternity with you. You are his possession. You are his inheritance. And look at this. Jump down to verse number 10. You were not a people, but now you're God's people. Man, that just preaches itself. I don't have to say anything else about that. Not a people, but now God's people. Really? You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who you are in Christ. And this identity is greater than any identity you could assign to yourself. It's greater than any identity the world, the devil, or your flesh can claim. You see, in tradition, tradition says this. Tradition says you are your duties. You are your rituals. You are your rules. 
The world says, culture says, you are your desires. Whatever you desire, that's who you are. But the gospel says, you are Jesus's. You're not everything, you're not something, you're not nothing, but you are Jesus's. You belong to him. You've been bought at a price. Your identity is secure in him. It is never in jeopardy. So therefore, don't be cowardice in your, in your witness. Don't be cold in your worship. Don't be contentious in your walk with God. Don't be, don't, don't be complacent in your work. You belong to Jesus. Isn't it good to know that our identity in Christ is not in jeopardy? Here's the third proof that just jumps off out of this book here. Back to verse number 5. And I word it this way, why were you here? You can know why you're here. You ever ask the question, man, why did God put me here? Why am I here? Why am I here, Lord? Well, we can know why we're here. God tells us why we're here right here. Are we here to tell, tell each other how, man, you know how awesome I am? Is that why we're here? Or tell each other, man, you know how awful that person is? Or Is that why we're here? No, that's not why we're here. Uh, we're here for several reasons, and, and, and just look at them listed here. Uh, primarily, we're here to be a spiritual sacrifice. We see that in verse 5. Uh, this royal priesthood that, w- that we are, we're priests, to offer spiritual sacrifice. You know, the priests in the Old Testament, they offered sacrifice. They offered animals, right? We are to offer a spiritual sacrifice. Not animals, but we're to offer our lives as living sacrifices. Our bodies as living sacrifices. Our prayers. Our love. Our, our works in Christ. Our possessions. We're to offer them up as spiritual sacrifice, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, that means I have to point people to Christ, or I get to point people to Christ. I get to pour out myself for people. And you know, you and I both know people, are, 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 people can be difficult, right? <laughs> oh, people. People, people, people. The more we get to know people, we know we get to know ourselves, we begin to realize, okay, this is why Noah only let animals on the boat, right? <laughs> we're difficult, man. People, bruh, people. But we're called to, to, to pour ourselves out for one another and to love one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, be generous to one another, put up with one another. These are spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. Like, forgive one another. As Christ has forgiven you, Now, that's something acceptable to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And some of you are going to get to a point as you grow in your faith that you're going to realize, oh, I'm asking the wrong question. I've been asking, what can my church do for me? And I need to be asking, what can I do for my church? That's a huge mind shift as you grow up in Christ. Why are you here? You're here to serve. You're here to pour yourselves out. You're here to proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought you from darkness to light. That's the next one. Proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought you from darkness to light. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Point people to Him. Tell people about Him. You know, there's over 20 million college students in America. If, if they all got together, that, they would make up the fourth largest state in our nation. And I love us being a multi-generational. 
one aspect of that I would like to see grow more is the college ministry, student ministry, young professionals. And that's uh, one of the points of the Point Church Online is to reach people not only around the world, but in this community to bring them in to a local church that's going to preach the word unapologetically and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me encourage you, as we are a multi-generational church, we want all generations to worship with us. And let me encourage you that as you share with people, it's fine to invite them to church. But we're called to proclaim the excellencies of Him. We're not called to proclaim the excellencies of our local church. We're called to proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought us out of darkness into light. You're called to tell people about Jesus. You're called to invite people to Jesus. And listen, if you invite people to church... They might come to Jesus, and they might not. But if you invite them to Jesus, they're going to come to church. Guarantee they're going to come to church. So proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us from darkness into life. And let me help you here. This, was, this encouraged me so much. 79%, nearly 80% of unchurched people in America, lost people, unchurched people, said this, and I quote, if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind them talking about it. I don't mind it. That's 80% of the people that are unchurched and lost say, hey, if I have a friend who really values their faith, I don't, I don't mind them talking about it. Wow. I think Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. I think he said that. Pray for laborers. This is what we're called to do. And because you know why you're here, your identity in Christ is not in jeopardy. Here's the last one, number four. What do we, what do we focus on while we're here? We know why, we're, why we are here, but then while we're here. Because remember, Peter says right here in verse 11, he calls us, in, in 1 Peter 2 verse 11, he calls us sojourners and he calls us exiles. That's what he calls us, sojourners and exiles. So we know this is not our home. So while we're visiting here, what are we to be focusing on? Well, Peter tells us that too. You know, I saw the CDC came out uh, with an advisor, you know, advising some folks. Didn't have anything to do with COVID. Didn't have anything to do with vaccines. Didn't have anything to do with masks or nothing like that. I'm, I didn't realize they were still advising on other issues, right? But they are. There's a, a salmonella outbreak or, or, or salmonella is on the rise in like 43 states, and, and here's what the CDC put out. And I'm not making this up. I'm quoting. Here it is. Don't kiss or snuggle backyard poultry. <laughs> now, listen. I, I love Chick-fil-A. Okay? I love the Baptist bird. I love that Christian chicken and that raptured rooster and that persecuted poultry. But I'm not about to kiss or snuggle with a backyard bird. I'm not. And I'm from Mississippi. Do you really have to tell Do you really have to tell people? My heavens. Here's what Peter is saying to us in verse 11. You avoid sin like you would avoid a salmonella-infected backyard bird. Avoid it. 
Here's how he says it. Beloved, I urge you. Now, I could define this word urge for you as being, I could define it in a number of ways. I could define it to you as being a desperate plea. He's begging them. But the best way to say it is just like this. There's no stronger way Peter could say what he's saying right here. Beloved, I urge you, abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's waging war. In other words, he's saying don't indulge in sin. Don't don't flirt with sin. Don't snuggle up next to sin. Don't flirt with it, but flee from it. Abstain from it. And he says we are at war. We are at war. So many of us don't even realize the war's going on. I I don't know what it is. And all the while, inside of us, there's this war waging with the passions and the desires of our flesh. And we're called to be killing sin. Or sin will be killing us. And so he says here, beloved, I urge you to abstain from this. Let me tell you, every temptation that you're faced with has a way of escape. God's not going to allow you to be tempted without a way of escape. But when you see it, you got to take it. you got to be like Joseph and run from Potiphar's wife. I'm talking about get out of there. You can't just hang around and believe another escape's going to come because... We're guaranteed one will come. We're not guaranteed any more. So you've got to take that way of escape when sin comes. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Man, abstain from that. But also we're called, look at this, uh, to live honorable lives. Conduct ourselves among the Gentiles honorably so that when they speak against you, in other words, you're going to be persecuted. In other words, the rock of offense here is the gospel. You know the gospel is offensive, right? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. It's folly to them. Of course we know that. And you're going to be persecuted. If you live for Christ, if you desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Period. It's going to happen. But if you live honorably among the Gentiles, among the unchurched, among the lost, if you live honorably then these good deeds, what's going to happen is God's going to get all the glory on the day of visitation. That day of visitation could mean the day the Holy Spirit draws that person to salvation. It could mean the day that Jesus comes back for his church. Either way, God gets the glory in all of it. We don't get it. He gets it for the glory of God Almighty. You know, I love being a Southern Baptist. I love being a Southern Baptist. I identify as a Southern Baptist. Now, that's not where my identity lies. But let me tell you why I identify and why I love to be a Southern Baptist. Do you know that 91% of your international missionaries, 91%, about 3,600 plus missionaries out of 4,000, are serving right now in the hard places, in the places where there's less than 2% evangelized. That's good news, church. That's taking the gospel to the end of the earth and the uttermost. Do you know uh, through our North American Mission Board, since 2010, there's been 8,200 churches planted across North America. Wow. That's getting it done. That's the church proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. 
That's them giving their lives as spiritual sacrifices. That's them living honorably among the Gentiles. That's why we're here. That's what we're to do while we are here. And because of these four proofs, you can know that your identity in Christ, believer, is not in jeopardy. Boy, isn't that good news, church? Isn't it good to know that your identity in Jesus is not in jeopardy? That that, that our identity in the one we're going to meet in the air, it's not up in the air. Our identity in the bridegroom is not as runaway brides. Our identity in Christ is not in crisis. Our identity in the beginning and the end, it will never end. Our identity in the divine is not in danger or in doubt. Our identity in the faithful and true witness is not as fearful witnesses. Our identity in the good shepherd is not touch and go. Our identity in the holy one of Israel, the head of the church, is not hanging by a thread. Our identity in Emmanuel is not at an impasse. Our identity in Jehovah Jireh, it is not, well, the jury's still out. No, dear friend, our identity in Christ, the King of Kings, is not in question. Our identity in the light of the world is not a shot in the dark. Our identity in, in the Savior who ate the Last Supper in the upper room is not up for grabs. Our identity in the omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent God is not on thin ice. Our identity in the second person of the Trinity is not a ticking time bomb. Our identity in the truth is not in trouble. Our identity in Jesus is not a flip of the coin. It's not a best guess. It's not a fall of the dice. It's not a luck of the draw or the turn of the wheel. It is not in jeopardy. And it will never be.